0: Hello and Bienvenue! Welcome to The Silence Between, the official podcast of your Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. I'm your host, Elise Lavallee. Last November, we recorded a very fun and heartfelt interview with our resident conductor, Julian Pelicano, as a pitch for the WSO. You'll hear Julian and I talk about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, but we have another Harry Potter concert coming up very soon, the Prisoner of Azkaban, at the Manitoba Centennial Concert Hall, March 8th and 9th. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Let's start right away with our our topic. Uh, We wanted to discuss music and uh, your passion, our passion for music, and uh what brought you to music
1: um i started playing music because my older sister played the piano she's five years older than me and so i wanted to do everything that she did as a younger brothers sometimes do and so she took piano lessons so i had to have a piano lessons <laughs> i had to do that and you know and so and my parents were open to that although they're not uh, musicians um but they love music they don't know so much about music uh they're not trained in music so much but uh, but they understood that it's important to play music we had a lot of relatives that played music mostly by ear uh and so I used to tinkle around at the piano as a young kid and they noticed I could kind of pick out some tunes and stuff so so I started to take your piano lessons when I was 5. So that's how I started.
0: And then when did the hook happen? Like the actual moment that you understood I don't know. The language? I
1: I understood that I liked playing music. I liked making music. I also I used to when I was young, I used to improvise and I used to write music. I used to write like little pieces. And uh, when I was eight, I, I saw the, like, drums. You know, I was, like, I, well, probably I was earlier than that. I was, like, six or seven. I thought drums were the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I had to play the drums, and that's what I did. That's why I started on the, playing the drums in school. Um, but I had this funny story. It's really unusual that <clears throat> I kind of always did music. That's just what I did. I didn't always do it in a very formal way. I didn't really – I t- kind of took lessons, but I quit my piano lessons when I was 11. Okay. <laughs> and uh, But I continued playing the drums in school. I continued playing piano. I used to improvise and play in these bands and stuff. And then, like, I, I just knew I wanted to be a musician somehow. I wanted to play music. And what happened to me was – it's really funny. This – when I was 18 – I got this letter in the mail and I was just about to go to college, I guess. And I was really uncertain because I was going to go to music. I was going to go major in music Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was really uncommon in my family. No one had done that. All of my parents, friends and our family friends, uh, none of them were musicians. So they thought it was kind of crazy. And, I, you know, people thought, oh, it's going to be so hard to make a living. Like, how are you going to make a living? And so I was kind of unsure as well. And my father kind of felt like, well, you should get a well-rounded education just in case, you know, because like, no one knew. We had no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We really had no guidance. And I got this letter in the mail, and it looked like it had been written, like, to me from a child. <laughs> like, I look at the handwriting. It was, it was my name, okay. and it looked like a kid had wrote me a letter. And I was like, what is this? And so I opened it up, and it said – Like, I'm not even kidding. It said, Dear Julian, this is Julian. (laughs) And it says, I'm in sixth grade. My teacher is Mr. Defina. My best friend is Pat McKeever. Yes. And when I grow up, I want to be a musician. Oh. And so that was a letter that I wrote to myself Mm -hmm. in grade six that my health teacher, I remember her name was Miss Backer. she had us write this letter and then she held on to them and mailed them to us when we graduated from high school. And so when I got that letter, I thought, wow, this settles it.
0: Yes. There it is. Yes. Now I
1: know. Now I know that this is what I have to do. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Well, you and I also have all uh, discussed many times that we came to classical music, but really from uh, folk, for me, from la chanson française, that's what I listened to, or even pop, not straight into a a classical music uh, upbringing, and sometimes what difference it makes to to how we approach uh, music.
1: Mm, Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I I think because I quit the piano, and because I never had anyone pushing me in a formal way, I mean, people, I think, tolerated the fact that I played music all the time, and no one said I shouldn't. But no one said, like, you know, you should really get, like, a real teacher. Well,
0: you didn't mention the accordion.
1: Yeah, well, I started playing the accordion when I was about 14 because my grandfather uh, played accordion. He learned to play the accordion in the Italian Navy in the, I guess, during the Second World War because he was stationed somewhere in southern Italy. And uh, he played by ear, and after that, he played in a band, and they they did uh they did primarily serenades <laughs> so people would hire them to stand under some girl's balcony <laughs> and pl- back them up while they sang <laughs> yeah, like okay. around midnight you know <laughs> yes, this yes, kind yes. of thing that's what they specialized in so um but he had this accordion and i remember being 14 i went to visit them in florida the accordion was sitting in the closet i pulled it out and i i was just love instruments anything and i never i don't think i'd ever really like held an accordion before i started playing i kind of figure out he said if you want it, you can have it so i took it and it was my mission i practiced every day i taught myself which means that i don't have great technique on the left hand but the right hand is like a piano so i could play it and i taught myself like italian songs by listening to tapes and records and stuff like you know again it didn't even occur to me like you know i should just go out and buy yes, some yes. music <laughs> Yes. I could go to the music store and buy sheet music. I was just like, you know what? I'll spend hours transcribing <laughs> yeah. these songs by ear and just l- making my own arrangements of it. That so seemed more logical. how
0: does that translate into your approach to music, classical or your appreciation? Or I think, uh,
1: I'm, I don't know. I mean, I hear, sometimes when I hear cl- orchestra music or classical pieces, I hear some folk music music in them in a way that that I think is more real than sometimes is recognized as you know Mm -hmm. Uh, or I mean I don't really to be honest I don't really know how because all of that stuff just sort of amalgamates I think into Mm -hmm. you becoming a musician that you are eventually you know I had to go to conservatory and learn all these things that I had no idea what it was so people had to Teach me, uh, you know, who Bach was like and what the Beethoven symphonies are all about and what's a sonata form. So when did
0: the conducting start or happen?
1: Well, it happened when I was a I I was a student in the conservatory at uh, the Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore in percussion. percussion. I was a percussionist. It was a miracle that I got in because my (laughs) technique was so backwards. I was (laughs) self-taught that they really just uh, I think I got there and they said, like, some. There's something about this kid. <laughs> he can p- kind of play, like somehow, but, and he had, I had ears because I could, I would, had spent 10 years transcribing stuff off <laughs> yes, of tapes. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, so, so, so I'm, I'm great, I'm eternally grateful to my former teacher who took me in. Uh, but yeah, he, I had this teacher. His name is John Haas, Jonathan Haas. He's a, he's a, Timpani player, but he's a great percussionist. But he's primarily known as a timpani player. And one of the first things we did when I got to Peabody, we started studying timpani. And that was actually an instrument that I knew well because I played in a school band, and I Mm -hmm. I loved. I was I was the only one that could tune the drums well,
0: Mm.
1: so I always played timpani. So I loved playing timpani. So we studied this. We started studying repertoire from the beginning, starting with 18th century music, all the way back to Haydn and Mozart. And he said like. Look, you don't play all the time as a timpani player, so you just need to know the piece, and the only way to do that is to get the score. So he made me get all multi- late Mozart symphonies, all Beethoven symphonies, Mendelssohn symphonies, Schumann symphonies, wow. like, and we went through it in chronological order. It was the first time I read orchestra scores. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just found it fascinating that. So you theory. listened
0: and and studied the score. Yeah, listen and yeah. study
1: the score, and read the score, and like. I don't even know if I knew that what a score was like that there was a score until I got one. I thought like, oh wow, everything is here in this one book. It's all here, and so and I just started to become fascinated with how it's all put together, and not to mention, like I I've always just loved sound. Like I love sound. I can't. I don't like silence. To be honest, like it re- like my. I always have something the on i like yes. to listen to things and and so the sound of the orchestra like blew me away and the, what it happened the first time i heard it i was 16 and i had i had gotten into be in the all nassau county orchestra Ooh. so i you took this audition i played timpani and they let me play in this orchestra mm-hmm. for like a weekend mm. And I remember getting in the room and it was like, you know, high school It wasn't even like the best or like high school orchestra around. I'm sure like the Juilliard pre-college orchestra sounded really good. But this <laughs> one was I guess it was OK. But I got in that room and the string started playing. Yeah. I remember thinking to myself when I was 16, I was like, that is the most beautiful sound I ever heard. Mm. Like whole room of 15 year old string players. Yes. But for me, <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. And it didn't occur to me until I was in conservatory, like five, six years later, that sort of like it started there. When mm-hmm. I heard that sound, I thought like, God, I want to get closer to that. Like, I like that.
0: So then from the score, you had an idea you thought, mm, I'd like to conduct.
1: Yeah, well, I just I saw my my percussion teacher was conducting like in the percussion ensemble. And I just wanted to study the scores, and I sort of wanted to just get closer to it. And I played in the conductor's orchestra at Peabody, so the graduate students okay. would conduct, and I would play in the orchestra, and I was watching these conducting teachers. And so so I started to take conducting lessons just to sort of see. I, had to, I think I had to take a conducting class. Okay. I think that's what it was. And maybe I did okay in it, so I took these lessons. And eventually I, I wanted to do a project. I wanted to conduct something, so I... I um, I created this project to conduct a piece for percussionists with pianos. And it was uh, it was uh, one of the very first pieces ever written for percussion all the way back in 1923. And mm. it's by the American composer George Antile. His, the piece is called Ballet Mécanique. Oh, oui. And it's a piece that was not um, actually premiered uh, in its original form until 1998 because it was written for percussionists live pianos, uh, sound effects, and 16 synchronized player pianos. Okay. <laughs> and the problem was you couldn't synchronize player pianos in 1923, <laughs> so it couldn't be played. Okay. Uh, and, but a guy uh, named uh, Paul Lehrman in Boston, who's a MIDI specialist, uh, he put all of the notes of this piece into MIDI, and he was able to synchronize Yamaha disc claviers to do it. So I had this idea as the first thing I was going to conduct and it's kind of like when you don't know how hard something is you're just like oh yeah I can do that and it turns out you that's like one of the condu- hardest things I've yeah, ever done a bunch
0: of pianists yet
1: no but these are mechanical pianos oh and it's crazy And it's but it's crazy it's like a new time signature on every bar and it's, it's insane it's an insane piece of music but when you don't know okay you know <laughs> yes. that's why I always feel like we should teach kids like you know F-sharp major first. That should be the first scale. <laughs> so if like, that's easy. <laughs> yes. Like, if you can learn that, then C major is no problem. That's yes, how yes, I felt. Yes. So I did this project, and I, I kind of, like, started to conduct because I really was passionate about doing this project. Mm-hmm. We ended up creating a new version of the piece that got published because it was it was a music that was supposed to go together with a film, and the film was too long. No, the music was too long for the film. So I thought like, well, it would be cool to do the original version, but the problem is the film. But it'd be cool to see if there's some way to put them together. So we worked together and we made some cuts in the music to try and make a version. And that version was eventually published by Schirmer and the Ensemble Moderne did it and uh, wow. and uh, London Sinfonietta did it and uh, did our version that we premiered at the in Columbus, Ohio, at the Percussion of Arts uh, <laughs> International. Uh, so your first conducting yeah. was
0: actually with film, yet?
1: That's right, yeah, it was. It Interesting. Was actually, it's, it's funny, the very first thing I ever did was with a yes, film. Yes, because uh, you do
0: a lot of film conducting I do at, now. at I the never, WSO.
1: Well, after that project, I never thought I would do something like that again, but then now <laughs> here I am, yeah.
0: Yeah, because it's actually different. Let's talk about it right away. Uh, sure. Conducting. Um, to a a click track or to a movie than Mm -hmm. just creating your own uh, (laughs) music.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's not easier or harder. Uh, it's just different. And I, I, I approach it, um, kind of like in the same way that I approach any other kind of theatrical production, whether it be the, the theatrical productions that I'm more familiar with are ballet and opera. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I treat it kind of like that, uh, now, on the one hand, the difficulty is that the the performer the the film is a robot basically because oui, oui. it never it's always the same. So your job is to accompany that film and make sure that the music is going together with with the movie. I mean, it's just it's essential and the, and film music is composed this way and it's the same that it's the same. All of these film composers are working on the same basic principle that Wagner worked on when he worked with when he he was writing his operas that the music has to reflect exactly what's happening on stage and there are themes that come in with certain characters. So is
0: there any freedom at all or freedom of expression or you just try to get into the mood? It seems pretty regimented. Even, I mean, classical music, we can talk about it later, it is sort of, uh, has a lot of rules Then, if you add to that Mm. A movie, a click track at this, like how?
1: Right. Well, there are, there is freedom. There are some times when I've been conducting a film when I felt that um, that um, the original soundtrack was not like musically. I wanted to do something slightly different, and you can manage to do that. You can. Uh, there's a little bit of a push and a pull if you know what you're. Uh, if you can, if you can stand it, because simultaneously you have this thing going on in front of you which you're supposed to be together with right mm-hmm. but you if there's some musical idea I'd like to get across that I feel works with the movie better in a certain way that usually happens more with old films mm-hmm. um the newer films are a little bit more highly produced so it's pretty it's pretty much the way that the soundtrack is the way that it was originally produced is, is usually the way that it should be but i have to say that i don't uh, use click track anymore when I first started doing this I I really didn't know what I was doing it was because <laughs> I I came to the S- Winnipeg Symphony I just got the job and they said mm-hmm. oh you have to conduct this film with, uh, with the orchestra and I thought like, how, Chaplin? How?
0: Chaplin at first? no the very
1: first one I did was actually one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do which is uh, the Fritz Lang's Metropolis oh, yeah. with the original uh, score by Gottfried Huppertz mm-hmm. and um, and that that film has no um guide for the conductor to sync it up with the film uh it just has on on the top of the score it tells you in german okay. what's happening in the movie on each bar or whatever <laughs> but there's basically like three well let's say there's four uh ways to sync uh, synchronize film and okay. orchestra the first is just completely visual like in metropolis the second is there was a system that was invented um, by a guy named Jonathan Goberman, which is like a stopwatch. And this happens, uh, it's a stopwatch on the screen. And oh, there yeah, are timings yeah. above each uh, measure. Mm-hmm. And basically you can line up with this so it's stopwatch. A it's, it's a visual thing. For uh, the beat. Kind, for of, the, yeah. kind of for the beat. But you okay. have to produce the tempos okay. correctly. And also, to be honest, it's... It's useful, but it's not great for predicting. A lot of times if you just go with the stopwatch, you're late. So you have to know oh. what comes right before that.
0: Okay. Usually I oh, use
1: yeah. I use uh, either uh, lines from the film or something visual in the film or sometimes camera angle changes to be able to be with so the stopwatch.
0: So you watched a movie many, many, many times. Yeah. Well, I have to
1: <laughs> – like when I first started doing it, I had to watch the movie a lot more. Now I don't okay. have to watch it quite as many times, but –
0: so okay, um, we went through two ways. Two ways. Okay. The third
1: one is uh, click track, which mm-hmm. I don't like uh, mm-hmm. using. Uh, I'm, I know that there are people who are really, really good at it, and they, but I, I just find it. Difficult because it's like you're following this thing, which is a robotic, and then and, and then to, I'm following that, and the orchestra is following yeah, me. It's that's
0: like, like you have a little earbud, and it yeah. has basically a metronome. Yeah, basically has it. a metronome, like, and
1: okay. I just it's, I just don't like it. And the the fourth one is called punchers and streamers, and this is probably the most sophisticated oh. of the systems, and it's uh, widely used in uh, Hollywood sound stages, although together with click track as well. They usually use click and uh, punches and streamers and punches and streamers is basically this like line that goes across the screen. And there's these, uh, these, uh, these, uh, how do I say, it? like white spots, flashes. flashes. And that used to be like they used to punch the the uh, the film with a, with a hole puncher. Mm-hmm. And there would be like a black dot or a white dot because it would be the, the light coming through the, the reel. But um, now they do this all digitally. But um, so I now I conduct most films that have punches and streamers just with the punch in the streamer without the click. Oh, really? Yeah. And some people call that visual click. Oh, okay. Because you can sort of get a sense of tempo from that. But so, um, is
0: this the case for Harry Potter?
1: Yes, exactly. Harry Potter works with punchers and streamers. It also has a click, but we don't. Uh, I'm not planning to use the click. I'm learning it without Remind it.
0: Remind me, which uh, movie is coming up? Which Harry Potter? Oh,
1: it's Harry Potter two at the Winnipeg Symphony. So the Chamber of Secrets. Ah, uh, okay.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, um, but yeah. So basically, I mean, there's there's definitely some room to work with this, but some, but you know, John Williams conducted that in the soundstage, and he's pretty much conducts it like he wants it. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So in this case, uh, the music and what happens on screen, it's really, really, uh, it's really precise. And the punches and streamers getting, you know, at this point, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty well versed with punches and streamers, so that's what I like to use. That's what I prefer. It's the best system.
0: We have some exciting concerts coming up with Julian. One in particular, Amadeus Live. We are playing the soundtrack to the Academy Award-winning movie. Everybody liked me. I like myself. So I remember when I saw the movie for the first time, what an impact it had, the music. I don't think I had heard the music before I was a teenager. And with his life and how scary I thought it was to the fate, uh, you know, knocking at the door. uh, It was really uh, life changing for me to see that and to discover Mozart.
1: I'm a vulgar man. I assure you, my music is not.
0: Amadeus Life is on April 13th and 14th at the Manitoba Centennial Concert Hall. Tickets start at $25. Call the WSO box office at 204-949-3999 or go to WSO.ca for more information. out of conducting movies uh. so we see that when you conduct a movie you have all these things I want to say imposed you know sure um, and there's an image too. there's a mood there's sort of a tempo there's things you can you find some freedom in but a lot of things are seen pre uh. preset I feel like a lot of people, that's how they view classical music, too. When I've discussed this with my family, they're like, well, why do you play it different? It's, you know, it's written out. Everything says what speed, what notes, what dynamics. (laughs) How can it be different from one conductor to another?
1: Mm. Oh. (laughs) How can it be different? Yeah. Yes.
0: What, uh, you know. Well, I think...
1: We're playing the pieces that we do play in terms of the old pieces, you know, and the new pieces we we play what's new and we and, you know, whatever it is, the old pieces, you know, for better, or for worse, we're playing mostly great masterpieces, you know. And I'm sure there are some other masterpieces out there that we don't play and mm-hmm. they deserve to be played. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but generally speaking, we're playing these pieces, which are great works of art and. Um, and any great work of art can have a, a multitude of interpretations. That's what makes it wonderful and great. And uh, and
0: I guess the value in the fact that it's live and well, then yeah. the value in the interpretation.
1: Yeah, there's, there's value in interpretation. Everyone should come to, you know, it would be terrible if if every single time we hear a Brahms symphony or a Mahler symphony, it should be the same. I mean, I, how can nobody, <laughs> you can't really copy the way that anyone else plays anything Mm -hmm. if you're doing it honestly Mm -hmm. right if you really come to it and internalize it it's like i feel like all of our musician internal musicianships like as i was saying before all these layers like you know i grew up you Mm -hmm. know playing the music that i did with accordion and then this and that and whatever and where i come from and the language that i speak Mm -hmm. the music from the score goes through my filter right it's like all <laughs> okay. that stuff is a filter and, yes, what, yes, yes, right. and whatever my ideas about it uh, are through that. I mean,
0: I feel that your approach is very intuitive, though. Very, uh, you know, on a feeling level.
1: Right. Well, I try to I think that one of the most important things about conducting is I hate to put it in a pedantic way is just choosing the right tempo. And And I know that doesn't sound like much, nice. but I like. I sort of feel music as like a connecting. It's like just like a kinetic Ooh, stream, time. a kinetic stream going through time. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I do when I'm learning a new score is just try and figure out how did the composer use the time mm-hmm. like from pieces, I don't know, 250 measures, let's say, generally speaking, it comes out to 10 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. That's the framework is mm-hmm. this time from beginning to the end that where it's different than an audience. Like when you go w- see a painting, the constraint is the frame of the painting. But mm-hmm. you can look at that painting for however long you want. We have this time where the audience is there and yeah. we need to think care- carefully about the time because it could be amazing time or it could be really painful for mm-hmm. them, right? If we don't consider what's going to happen and when it happens and i think i think instrumental music is more theatrical like i think of it in a theatrical yeah, way yeah, yeah. not that i make up stories but but i try to use timing and proportions and try and figure that stuff out at the beginning i see um, the tempo
0: and then a part of <coughs> architecture too what happens you know in those 10 minutes in terms of your Right, your climax and where you're yeah of you're course. going in every piece, right? That's uh
1: Of course, yeah. Like where is the where is the moment of truth here? Like mm-hmm. what is it? Where is it that we we're gathering the essence of what this thing is about, if it's about anything, but you know, it may just be about sound. But. Yeah.
0: I felt like for me it was very convincing once I had some friends once and I said, Well, let's play <laughs> a bunch of pieces back to back. Just the first two, three minutes of different you know, uh, interpretations to really have an idea. If it's back to back, right, you can hear more right away the tempo change, the subtlety, the tone, the everything that the the conductor or the musician is putting out that sometimes maybe escapes um, the listener.
1: Yeah. Well, you mean hearing different interpretations one after the other. We, we, but yeah. even
0: just two minutes of each, so you're you catch the beginning you know yeah yeah. well it's hard sometimes it's hard to
1: remember everything in a longer piece right yeah so i the other thing (laughs) that i I think is important to mention about uh i mean the way that i approach things is that i all i also don't and I, i don't know how other people feel i feel like in the classical music world we we kind of like feel that we have an interpretation we feel like something should go a certain way and and i've heard this many times that people get upset if it's not that way you know I actually don't. I I find that there's like a pretty big window of what's possible for what's musical. Okay. So I, I don't listen to, I never just listen to one recording of something or just only appreciate one version. Like even if I believe that a specific spot in whatever piece should Mm -hmm. be this way, according to the research I've done, I can appreciate if someone does it differently. And it could be equally musical. I mean, I think there are many ways. I always say this. There are many, many, many ways. And if we forget that, then we have big problems because then we just hear the same piece over and over Mm. the same way. And no. we need to be... uh, as musicians open-minded and audience members also i think it's important to be open-minded this is one of the difficulties of the age of recorded music is that you have this thing yeah which was never meant to be repeated exactly the same mm-hmm. every single time and there it is mm-hmm. and th- this creates all its own issues and i'm I'm glad in many ways that we're o- we're almost done with the age mm-hmm. of recording that this is no longer quite as important or profitable as it once was because now we can get back to what it means to have people bringing music to others and having it be real and not having it be worried about it being the final statement yep. on this or that I mean who, I mean what could be more boring than that really that's yeah. how I feel
0: better exciting than accurate right yeah <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> that's what I think so okay once you've studied <laughs> your your 10 minutes I liked how you said that we're almost feel grateful that we have people we have 10 minutes you know these people are listening to us what do we do with it uh so once you've kind of studied and internalized what you think the mood the tempo all this how do you translate that into your body to be the medium (laughs) with all this uh these musicians (laughs) in front of you
1: you just pray and hope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you just hope that you'll do something that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, it's important to. I think that the, the more accurate your ear, your internal ears are. Uh, well, I, I'd say two things. Like you really have to. It takes time to get a piece internalized. Like it's mm. like you're playing a concerto. You know, you. If you're a play, I mean, it takes time. You mm-hmm. want to have it. You want to be able to to really be able to predict what's happening next and hear it in advance but simultaneously a lot of conducting and having good sort of technical conducting like the way that you move your arm at least I mean I can't say that I know everything because I haven't I I learn stuff every day Mm -hmm. like I feel like every single day I learn something Mm -hmm. new about how to conduct an Mm -hmm. orchestra which is it's just really hard I think by the time I'm 70 or 80 maybe I'll know (laughs) something like so I feel like I don't I feel like I'm not maybe not even ready to put anything out there yet but Mm -hmm. but the more and more that I conduct I, I notice that the more you're also listening to what's happening around you the better you will conduct because because what you have to react to what people are playing. Orchestra will play, most people will play how they think it should go, right? Mm -hmm. They will play it like the best version of it that that they think. And our job is to take all of those versions in some way and sort of bring it together. A lot of, sometimes, you know, like uh, we'll play something, the orchestra will play it and I'll be like, maybe that was better than what i had in mind. We'll just go with that. You know. <laughs>
0: but i feel like it's a fine line between creating, right? Like inspiring a phrasing or something, you know, that you oh. want to create or reacting to it.
1: Well, i say reacting because you can't really like practice conducting. You know, i mean you can't sit at home and like mm-hmm. conduct through a piece and have it. You can, and that's a interesting exercise. But it will never be that way. Mm -hmm. So to translate it into what I I guess this is more about how you move your arms around. To translate it into actual conducting, you have to be listening and reacting to whatever's happening at that moment. And whoever needs attention or a particular gesture, it's completely spontaneous. Mm. It's all spontaneous. I never plan what I'm going to do at all. I just conduct and listen and whatever's happening at the moment that's you
0: must plan the beginning the first the very first <laughs> yeah, cue. Of course.
1: well yeah i mean well there's some basic uh, technique that like, you have I'm gonna to do have this and then after that yeah but well you you know i think like it's like anything else when you first start okay you plan you have to say like okay the gesture is like gonna be like this but eventually you just i had a teacher once in new york um and he used to—he used to. This is when I was like, kind of first starting. He said to me, "Just let your hand follow your ear."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought, like, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> like at the time, I didn't really know. I didn't know what he meant by that. And so, and so, I couldn't really do it. And I thought about—I never forgot that. And now I think I understand what he means. Is that. If you just practice like on a physical level, like, okay, the gesture will look like this. This is very sort of, I don't know, superficial in some Mm -hmm. way. If the concept of the sound is really deeply ingrained and carefully thought about and uh, beforehand, then (laughs) and you have enough physical technique, then your hand will just do what it is that your ear is hearing in the piece that when you look at the score and you hear it off the page. Mm That sound, your hand will do that. But it takes time to you need to you need to conduct enough to have that actually happen.
0: It must be an incredible feeling, to if you're conducting and then you think, oh, I'm going to change this. And then you realize how much how much it changes in the music.
1: Yeah, I mean, to just it's, kind of it's remarkable how, you know, uh, great players and uh, orchestra players especially in our orchestra how flexible you know people can be on the just changing one little gesture here or there or just preemptively trying to create something to happen I mean uh, it's it's an it's a crazy art it's a mysterious art I don't really know how it works to be honest um I can't say that I know how it (laughs) works but we do it, and it, and somehow, uh, somehow we make things happen. And um, there's a lot of mystery involved there, but so but it's a beautiful thing.
0: You said you learn something new every day, but is it kind of what you expected, or
1: working as a conductor? Yeah. Well, there are some things that you can never, you sort of are not prepared for until you do it. Which is, um, there's a lot of. Behind-the-scenes work, not just musical preparation, other things, programming, and you know, um, and figuring out how we're going to do this concert or that concert, especially mm-hmm. uh, in a in a sort of the modern North American orchestra, where we're not just playing classical concerts. Mm-hmm. We're doing so many different concerts, and in my job as resident conductor with the Winnipeg Symphony, a lot of those concerts fall under in my schedule. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot involved, whether it be, you know, sometimes we have to make cuts or we're dealing with uh, cuts in the music. That means, like, uh, figuring out how do we get from this place to that place. And sometimes I have to write a little transition or change some notes here or there, do a little bit (laughs) of arranging. Sometimes you're working with students and you have to accommodate them and make sure that they're having a great experience or, you know, talking to the audience, you know, or which is a skill in itself, which takes time to develop uh, I can certainly say I'm better at it now than I was when I first came <laughs> and um, and all kinds of other things I mean that that are that go beyond what you learn in conservatory or in music school right mm-hmm. it's not just about studying the score and then walking out and, mm-hmm. and conducting I mean fundraising interviews etc all the also behind just the
0: scenes for me and it's probably the same for you just the depth of music that I keep discovering. You know, I really like music. I fell in love with Bach and Bach Chacon, you know, when I was a teenager. But since then, like every time, every time we play something or something else, right? It just, uh, you discover just how much more there is there.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. When you go through pieces more than once. And plus, like we play so much repertoire in a mm-hmm. year that... Um, you know just the breadth of music you can start to make so many connections when mm. you play that much music in mm-hmm. one year. That's the other thing that I had to you have to get prepared for once you start to work with a professional orchestra as a conductor is how much repertoire you oh, yeah. really have to learn in a year. Um, it's a lot. I remember one of my teachers I went to grad school at Yale and <laughs> he used to do this thing where we we had to conduct the repertoire for Yale's orchestra that was our main repertoire and then every thursday we would do a seminar with a quintet and piano and he would say and we'd basically learn like a new symphony every week wow and and we had to um conduct one so he would say there were only two students at the at yale for conducting and he would say okay you learn brahms third symphony and you learn brahms fourth symphony but it meant that if I was going to conduct Brahms fourth, I needed to sit at the piano and play the wind <laughs> and brass parts for Brahms third. So you had to learn both of them oh, wow. in one in that one week or whatever it was. And it was really frustrating because in one week you can just barely do anything with a, these giant pieces. And at one point I asked him, I said, you know, like, what am I supposed to do here? Because I can mm. I feel like in one week uh, there's not much I could do. He said, look. If you can just get the first 5 to 10% of 30 pieces this year, then you'll be better off when you go work with an orchestra someday because mm-hmm. you will know something about all mm-hmm. of those pieces. And at the time, I found it really frustrating, but mm-hmm. now I realize like, that was a great exercise because we have to learn things quick, and you have to already know something about a lot of music just to get by. Mm-hmm.
0: I think maybe if we add just a little bit more core about because I was wondering about that if we were just a little bit effleury, uh what music is?
1: Oh, it's so hard. How are we gonna talk about that at least?
0: <laughs> this is crazy. the whole point. This is what we do, <coughs> right? Yeah, I
1: know, but it's like, like uh, when
0: I start playing, uh, Ben. Yes. You know, I'm like, I. Embark, you know, I'm like nah, nah, on that flow, right? We do you see Jeremy? Like, he's always plugged in, and he's like, Duh. he always has the right I like watch his pickups all the time, like his little cues. Like, you embark on the storytelling that we all tell, and it's kind of like this thread, right? Of like mm, tension release, yeah. Ugh. Because now you we're not kind of really saying it yet. I think what makes music music like actually or musical.
1: I mean, music is so mysterious. That's what I think. I I could never even try to answer (laughs) these questions because I'm too like from a philosophical point of view. Yeah. I don't know maybe i'm t- too stoic and i think it doesn't necessarily matter to like a- absolutely have these definitions it's so mysterious every culture on earth somehow independently mm-hmm. has cre- created some kind of music and they're as diverse as languages and so I think that language and music must be connected. I don't think that there's a scientific way to necessarily connect them, but I think that they exist in the same space. And we need music. We have to have it. It's Mm -hmm. the way... It somehow is a way that... And this maybe will sound cliche that people say, oh, it expresses the thing that words can't express. Mm -hmm. But it, it has a way of of telling us something that is, would be irrelevant to try to speak with words. It's not that words can't express it. It's that it's irrelevant to, to speech with, uh, with words. But
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but not all music that is played is actually played in such a way that takes you somewhere.
1: No, that's true. There's other kinds of music. I was just talking about this today. There's like what I think of as almost more like practical music. There's dance music.
0: No, but I mean, there's the same piece too that can be played not very well and not musically as we say. (laughs) What does that mean when you play musically?
1: Well, I think there are different levels, right? Everything has to do with the situation. So you, I mean, you can be moved. It really depends on how you... I think sometimes it depends more on the on the listener than sometimes the player because I know that mm. I've definitely been to myself as a professional oh, yeah? like as a musician I've been to concerts of great musicians and somehow I don't know I don't think that the music was not good I mean they mm-hmm. should I'm sure that somebody loved it it just mm-hmm. it wasn't for me that day it wasn't for me at that moment that's why I'm I'm always skeptical of like reviews you know like people like feel like oh this was not Interesting. good this was me i just go yeah it wasn't good i don't say it wasn't good sometimes i'm like you know i don't know there are definitely some some ways that there's definitely some point where i feel like you know that didn't do it for me or you know there, there were some musical problems that i think were not being addressed mm-hmm. or you know something was not flowing like that's for sure i mean mm-hmm. that happens sometimes Oh, well, i like flowing
0: yeah that's a good yeah
1: that it just it just wasn't right and you know i mean we're called upon as musicians in the so-called classical world were called upon to play 300 years' worth of music. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, sometimes it's difficult to go from one thing to the next and have it be fluent. And Do have you it
0: feel that it's harder sometimes for uh, some people to understand classical music that, you know, it's a little bit of this, you come to it with a, you know, like you <laughs> developed a taste for good wine or or something like that it is harder
1: yeah i think it is harder because this is music this is a really very abstract music i mean uh we're dealing with something that has no words yeah um it doesn't necessarily always have a clear melody Mm -hmm. um and it's really old it's music that that was written in a completely different time and place so
0: it's more complex, right? It's,
1: it's there's a level of complexity there, and it's just like any kind, any form of art. I mean, there's popular art, and there's mm-hmm. and there's more and there's higher art, and higher art will always take a little bit more effort on the part of the listener or the viewer, or whoever it is. Doesn't mean that um, it's not. I mean that it's better or worse uh, necessarily. It's just different. I mean, it's totally different.
0: Well, for me, the reward can be really great. But this is why I'm coming back to the fact that, you know, I listen to a lot of pop or French pop and that music is less complex, even harmonically. Mm. It's usually shorter, right? Mm. Two minutes and it has words. So it gives you an idea of what's going on yeah. and it repeats itself. So you're not confused. And also I just felt like right away I could fall in and I could feel the tension between the notes. I could feel... Feel the music, you know. I I just loved it, and then I went to a little bit more classical, a little bit more, and I kind of had that same approach. Like, how can I feel what's going on between the notes? Even sometimes when it's so mm. complex harmonically or the texture.
1: Right. Well, I think when I try and interpret complex pieces, that's one of the reasons why I start with the timing because. Um, and the architecture. So I, I don't think of architecture. Uh, people use that word, architecture in yeah. music, like they say, because we we say structure when okay. we talk about music, right? Maybe a lot of people might not know that. But when we analyze music, we say, what's the structure? It's this form or that form. But, I mean, it's actually not really like a house, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's no, linear. No, you're
0: you're referring to well there's a melody then it comes back or it's different and yeah. then it develops and exactly uh,
1: it's like we begin here and we end there and what where do we go in between well just
0: like a pop song has a structure too yeah pop like songs
1: have their own structure ABA's and ABD. a lot of classical pieces have the same structure as pop mm. songs
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so uh, once you figure out that once you figure out that timing and when things will happen and you have to plan sort of in the same way as is in theater like planning that the high point should mm-hmm. actually be the high point. It means that everything else has to be less, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, Built. but if you can't, if you haven't identified that spot, like the crux of what we're doing, um, of what we're trying to express or what the composer is trying to express, and we're expressing through the music because we feel that this thing is important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then we can have some problems. I think this is the natural thing in pop music uh, or folk music or dance music Mm -hmm. that can be uh, translated onto uh, a symphony or something more complex. I think I came to this music also, I I forgot to mention this before, but one of my first sort of experience of listening to classical music was opera. Because my grandparents collected uh, LPs. They had like, I don't know if they had some kind of a subscription, but one day, my my grandparents who were from Italy they uh, they left this giant box of LPs at our house in New York. So and I went started going through them. I was probably about seventeen. Started listening to them and I don't I don't know maybe I was in like some kind of a like I was in, I was like moody or something. I don't know what the deal was. You know, I was seventeen. So <laughs> yeah. you're, like, you're going 17. you're going through a lot of stuff when <laughs> yes. you're seventeen. And I started listening to these operas and and it totally blew my mind. I remember the first one that I really got into was yeah. Pagliacci. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a short opera, so it was kind of the perfect opera to get into. <laughs> and it's very like it's super emotional and it's in Italian and you know, and this and, and you I gained like a really great appreciation uh, an appreciation for the the high like the structure of that opera in the mm-hmm. sense that the drama had to come at the end. The big moment is at the very very end. Mm-hmm there's nothing complex about it in the sense that like when that happens, it has to be the most tragic thing. So uh, the most tragic thing of this opera happens at the very end and then it's over. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so I feel like once I, like once you understand that in a theatrical production, Mm -hmm. you have to understand, like know where those things happen. Then when you come to instrumental music, um, it's very similar. I mean, I, I think that most composers before the 20th century basically had opera in their mind, hmm. but also wrote some instr- instrumental music, right? I think Mozart, like Mozart, oh, yeah. Beethoven, uh, all of the, even though Beethoven only wrote one opera, I mean, opera is what people went to hear mostly, yeah. and it's how composers made a lot of money. Yeah. And it's what people wanted to write. And symphonies were for. Lent when there was no, mm-hmm. you couldn't, you couldn't listen to opera in Vienna during mm-hmm. Lent and some other sort of concerts here and there, but mainly people went to the opera. And I mean, there's so much opera in instrumental music. And if you just think of it sort of as a, it's like the theater of the sound, theater of sound, I think and things I mean, become clear. Talking
0: about theater, how <coughs> much of conducting is actually acting? Is, you know, so much has to go on through your body like I've seen it because I've worked with so many conductors like they just kind of raise their arms all of a sudden it's like wow like something happens right mm. and you know just the the mood the atmosphere like there has to be some kind of
1: yeah well I, I had this idea once I was always trying to figure out who like as a musician who are we closest to mm-hmm. like other other artists you know what I'm saying yes, like yes. for a while I was like oh musicians are just like uh, dancers yes yes and then for a while then I went to this period I was like oh you know musicians are just like comedians <laughs> like work like comedians like and because I thought that being a comedian is so hard it's like that's the <laughs> hardest thing but then I came to the I think I figured out that or at least this is what I think I think that actors and musicians not just conductors but all musicians are this is the closest mm. like art form Acting and 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 playing music. Mm-hmm. So, and so a while ago, I studied this um, the Stanis I didn't actually study. I just read the book of the yeah. Stanislavski method, who is the creator of method acting. <laughs> which is that you know yes. the idea behind method acting is that you don't just go on the stage and say or say your lines, but, mm-hmm. but you actually feel. <laughs>
0: What is happening to you? (laughs) And
1: that's why many actors who are method actors, they don't break character even when they're not acting. Like they're on the set, they (laughs) stay in character. And you're supposed to feel that. And I thought like, God, when we're playing, we should understand like what emotionally these sounds are Mm -hmm, trying to express. And if we can not just understand it, but while we're playing it, if we can actually feel that, Mm -hmm. I think that would be the high point. Mm -hmm. I think the times when I've been able to achieve that is when I've made the best music. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to do. I'm not sure that I get there every single performance, to be honest. And I don't know if it's 100 percent necessary. Because no one ever told me that. I just came up with it on my own. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's not like there's some music book out there for everyone that where it says that this is what you have to do. <laughs> in fact, I've never heard anyone actually tell me that in my life, <laughs> but I just in my mind, yes, I'm yes. like it would be great if I could if this could happen. and it, I feel like it's happened sometimes. but um, so I don't know if conducting is acting, but when I'm conducting, I'm trying to be in that moment but Mm -hmm. at the same time without destroying what everyone is trying to do because I also need to conduct the orchestra well Mm -hmm. you know I need to there are certain things that I need to do that help not just be in my own world and feeling stuff like my at the end of the day my job is to like the conductor's role is to help everybody play the best they can you don't I had a teacher once who said you don't <laughs> have to conduct beautiful you just have to conduct so that they can play beautifully mm-hmm. so what you do all the time is not going to be so great looking but you know the, the idea is that it helps everyone to play their instruments well mm-hmm. and, to, and to play the music and not get in the way hopefully like not get in the way that's our most uh, that's our greatest yeah. goal mm-hmm. is just to like allow everyone to play their instruments well
0: Well, on this note, (laughs) that resumes pretty much the conducting. Thank you very much, Julian.
1: Oh, thanks. It's great. Thanks for having me here.
0: (laughs) The Silence Between is a past bedtime studio production. Once again, I'm your host, Elise Lavallee, and thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time for another episode featuring some members of our orchestra, We are going to sit down and talk about auditions. The process, the preparation, all kinds of things. See you next time.